In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So, um, God willing, today we are going to look at Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapters 12 and 13. We'll see how far that we get. Um, if we finish, then today will be the last day on Second Corinthians. Um, God willing, the next book we'll study after this is the book of Exodus. So we'll go back again to um, studying in the Old Testament. We had finished Genesis, um, and then we skipped to New, New Testament, Second Corinthians, and then God willing, we'll go back to Exodus again. So either we'll finish today, Second Corinthians, and start Exodus next time, or maybe we'll start Exodus the time after that. So we'll we'll see. Hmm? <laughs> um, okay, so um, uh, here in um, let's go back here. So here in, in chapter 12, we, we read about one of the most famous uh, uh, passages that we actually we use a lot in different examples in the church, and especially when it comes to suffering and carrying a cross, um, and that is the thorn in the flesh um, that St. Paul speaks about, um, and, and, and how that's balancing the vision that he had, right? And so we, we're going to talk about that in more detail here. So... Remember here, St. Paul is in the middle of this conversation, or, well, not a conversation, it's a letter, right? So he's, he's telling the Corinthians about how, um, you know, how much that he has had to suffer and how much he sacrifices for the sake of the ministry to prove the authenticity of his apostleship, right? Um, and so he, he, he's, he's trying to show them that he is uh, a true chosen apostle of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he, he focuses on a lot is the sufferings that he's had for the sake of his ministry. Um, and then he, he also speaks about here um, kind of the visions that God has given him. And then that's balanced by additional suffering that God gave him and so that he wouldn't fall into pride related to this. So he starts here in chapter 12. So he says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Okay, so he emphasizes that, again, he's saying this, you know, he, he, said, he said to them that I am a fool for saying the things that I'm saying, and what he means is I am acting like the other people who are foolish, who are always boasting of themselves. He's saying in order for me to show you, right, the, essentially his apostolic credentials, he's not doing this because he wants to boast. He's saying it's not profitable for me to boast, but I have to reveal to you some of these things to help you to understand the situation, that God is the one who called me to be an apostle, to serve you and to minister to you. Do not go after these false teachers um, who are teaching you something contrary to God's commandment, contrary to the gospel that you have received, and also who are seeking for themselves recognition um, or praise or whatever personal gain they might want for themselves. Okay, So he's coming now to speak to them about some of the visions that God has shown him, again, for us to see that this is truly a man of God. Okay, And he speaks in the third person because he doesn't want to say, this is what happened to me even though it's clear that he's speaking about himself, but he's, he's speaking in such a way as to kind of deflect the honor, to deflect the praise that he might receive when revealing that this is something that's happened to him. And this is, um, you know, this is, the, this is the first time, perhaps, that he's even mentioned these visions to anyone that he has seen, okay? Um, Person that actually experienced 
because it, it becomes more clear as the, as in the next few verses. Oh. We'll, we'll see that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so he says here that um, 14 years ago, right, um, someone was caught up to the third heaven, such a one, which is him, caught up to the third heaven. What is the third heaven? Paradise. Paradise. How do we, why is it the third one? Right? Right? The third is paradise, right? The third is paradise. And some people will say that the fourth is the kingdom of heaven. Actually, in, in Judaism, they believed in seven heavens. Um, so, so here we believe that the third heaven he's referring to is paradise. So God gave him a vision of paradise. Yes. Do we know, like, do we have a number for how many heavens there are? Or is do we just know... So we believe there is four. Okay. Okay. Because we, 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 we again, we, we, we consider the sky or the atmosphere, the first heaven. Space is the second one. Paradise is the third one. And the kingdom of heaven, or um, the scripture also refers to it as the heaven of heavens, all right, represents the kingdom of heaven, which is where the, the believers will go at the second coming after. Um, so going from paradise to the kingdom of heaven or the heaven of heavens. So we consider there to be four. So then he goes on. He says, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So um, here when he says, whether in the body or out of the body, what does he mean? If he was dead or alive. Yeah, yeah so he's not, he's not sure whether he's just saw a vision. Or whether he was actually taken and he actually like was present there. Or whether this is just a, like an, a vision that God is giving him of this place, right? Whether in the body or out of the body, okay? Um, St. Uh, Hilary, Bishop of Poitiers, he says this, the, uh, the apostle who was chosen not by men but by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to become a teacher of the Gentiles, to explain the secrets of the divine ordinances as much as he could manage by the human language, he who was caught up into the third heaven and heard inexpressible and unutterable word admits that there are things he did not understand when he heard them and that the human weakness needs time to refer them to the mind to contemplate and try to decipher a process much longer than hearing by the by the ears here there is the need of the help of god to proclaim the true meaning to those who seek a gift that is given as a reward for faith though uh, through faith the weakness of the sense is rewarded by the gift of revelation so he's saying those who have faith to believe god reveals to them more and more and more right we, we, the, the more that we believe in the Lord, the more that he opens our eyes to see, right? And this is what's happening here with St. Paul. Like St. Paul was such a faithful servant. God allowed him to see. God confirmed his faith in like telling him, this is the final destination. Like this is all what you are working for. This is all what the church is collectively working for to attain this paradise that, you know, you are seeing in front of you, right? And he heard inexpressible words. He heard things that are beyond uh, explanation, beyond understanding, things that are so different from us, from our world, from our life, from the things that we experience to where it is difficult for us even to understand, which kind of um, brings to mind the idea that any of us who believes that we can really understand God or understand the kingdom of heaven or fully understand any of these things, it's like we are, we are fooling ourselves, right? Um, I, I don't remember if I mentioned the, the monk who had the vision about the child, about the seashore that I talked about this before. 
So there was this this monk who, um, uh, I believe it was a monk. Um, he ha he had this dream, and in this dream he went uh, to uh, he was on the seashore at the beach, and he saw this child who there who had like a like a bucket and a shovel, like a like a toy bucket, you know, like a child would use. Um, and and so the 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 monk went to him and he said, "What is it that you're doing?" And he said, "I'm trying to put the ocean into the bucket." And uh, the, the, the monk told him, there is no way you could fit the entire ocean into this bucket. And so then the child told him, this is what you do whenever you are trying to, to, to take the depth and the infiniteness of God and trying to put it into your mind, right? So um, we do not worship God simply through the mind. We do not worship God simply through reason and understanding. We worship him through faith, meaning even if there's things about God that I do not understand, that I, I believe it according to faith because I trust him and I trust that what he is, who he is, what he has done, what he continues to do is really beyond our understanding. And he might reveal to us glimpses and pieces and little, you know, like hints of what's happening, but we will never really understand if St. Paul himself went up to heaven and he heard words that were inexpressible, things that he can't even describe to us, um, you know, what, what is it that, that is happening, okay? Of such a one I will boast, meaning of this person, who's actually him, but of this person who is who saw this revelation, this vision. Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. We spoke about before how all of the boastings that St. Paul gave was not about his accomplishments. It wasn't about the number of people that were converted or that he baptized or how many churches he planted or how many places he traveled. Everything that I always spoke about, which was like the proof of his apostleship, had to do with what type, how much suffering that he um, uh, allowed himself to endure for the sake of the ministry. And, and essentially saying that it is out of his love for them that he is willing to endure such suffering and it is through faith in God that he believes that this is a fruitful ministry for them. He is not boasting of his accomplishments, but he boasts of his infirmity. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Right? So he is saying, I'm refraining from boasting. Okay, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me uh, to be or hears from me. This is a spirit of humility, right? Like, um, like he, he, we often think the opposite. We want people to think of us higher than we really are. You know, I, I don't go to a group of people and I immediately start speaking about my failures, my weaknesses, the things that I don't do right, my wrong thoughts. Like, I, I, don't, I don't do that. Typically what we do instead is we want people to see the best side, the best things, to say the things that are going to bring maybe praise or, 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 or you know, something positive to us. But he says, he says, I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees, right? I don't want you to think of me higher than I am, right? Um, instead, I will speak about my weaknesses, about my sufferings, um, and so on. Yes? Can there be an extreme for that? Like people like with the... Kind of like addicted to be so to be in self pity. There, there is so. So I'll speak about two types of extremes. One type of extreme is good, and the other type of extreme is bad. There's a good type of extreme which we call the fool for Christ. Have you ever heard of the fool for Christ? Uh, you know, uh, Abuna Abuna Yusuf Antoni. You've heard of him, Munoz Antoni. He he was a monk in uh, Saint Anthony uh, Monastery, and he was a very holy and righteous man. And he acted like he was a foolish man. 
He acted always and said things that didn't make sense to make people think that he was like an ignorant person, even mentally ill person, um, because he didn't want people to, to, to see in him uh, the, the, the truth of his righteousness, the truth of, like, he was a miracle worker. Like, he didn't, he didn't want people to see that about him, so he always acted like he was a very, like, like, like a foolish person, right? So in that sense, you can say he had a healthy self-understanding, but he acted like a fool, okay? So that that is the that is the good extreme. The bad extreme is when we feel that we we truly have no worth or no value because we are lacking certain qualities that we think are good. So for instance, if if I feel like I'm a failure, if I feel like other people have better qualities than me, if I feel like I'm no good, if I feel like I could never change to be better, and so I begin to look at myself with a low, low self-esteem and to truly despise myself, right? That is wrong because our value does not come from um, our accomplishments. Our value does not come from what we are able to do. Our value comes in, our, in that we are created in the image of God. So, so even though I, I can acknowledge my weakness and I can acknowledge my sin and I can acknowledge my mistake, but I still have hope that God has sees me as valuable because he has covered me, because he, he's, he's, he still loves me. So my value comes from the love that God gives to me, not because I'm able to succeed or accomplish in anything, in anything specifically, even righteousness, even virtue. Right? Maybe I try to be a virtuous person and I fail so many times, right? And I find myself confessing the same sin again and again and again. This should not lead me to despair, right? Because God has covered our sin, because God has said that He accepts us, even though we are not living up to the standard that He wants us to live up to as long as we don't give up. So so the the extreme of having like low self-esteem and self-doubt, this is a wrong. But to say that I am wanting to to hide my successes and to hide my accomplishments. This is humility, and this is what St. Paul did. This is what many others have done in various ways, and to various degrees, okay? Yes, did you have? Mm. Sorry. Um, uh, on, uh, in the last verse, it says, of such one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast. I know you said that, He's saying, of such a one, which is him, he will boast. Uh, yet of myself, I will not boast except of my infirmities. Just wait that. for it. It's come. Don't worry. Okay. Don't, don't okay. Worry. <laughs> so, like, self-understanding that you said that you mentioned just now. Um, like, how, how, how can we be sure that, like, what you said, like, the extreme that's good, like, having inner self-understanding, but, like, making sure that, like, the outside wouldn't be, like, compromised, how do how how can I be sure that the inner self understanding is not tainted with pride? It, it's very hard, right? Because pride is one of those sins that that is very difficult to see, yeah. right? So um, that's one of the really um, valuable things about confessing confessing regularly, because someone else has to see it, right? And someone else has to point it out to me, and then when it is pointed out to me that I have to believe it and I have to acknowledge it and I have to, to start to see it myself, right? Because it is in the very nature of pride that it is invisible, right? So um, it is very easy for us to fall into pride. And, and one of the reasons that we speak about, you know, fleeing from praise and um, 
you know, um, uh, not speaking about our accomplishments and all those things. It's not because those things in themselves are wrong. It's not wrong to praise someone. It's not wrong for someone to praise me. It's not wrong for people to know that I have accomplished something. Those are facts. You know, those are facts. Like we're not, we're not trying to run away from a fact or pretend like it doesn't exist. But those facts could have a, a very subtle, imperceptible, long-term impact on me that caused me, without even realizing it, to start to boast even in myself, to start to feel like I am not in need of God and that I am able to accomplish these things on my own. So that's why um, pride is the most dangerous sin. Pride is the sin by which the devil himself fell, and pride is a sin of the Pharisees and why they did not repent. So um, any, any sin can be easily um, confessed. Any sin can be easily confessed but except the sin of pride. Because pride makes me not even want to confess it. Pride makes me defend it as though it is not a sin and it is justified. So that's really where it requires accountability. It requires um, uh, you know, wisdom and objectivity from another person to really help me to see it myself. It doesn't mean that I can't learn to detect it. Um, but, but pride has a way of manifesting in a lot of different ways and a lot of different situations. And so, um, the moment, and, the, and here's the other thing about pride, the moment that we think we don't have it, that's when we do have it. You know, if anyone were to declare, you know what, I am not a prideful person, then most likely they are the most prideful. So we should always assume that we have pride because, because it's like a hidden disease, right? And as long as we live in a careful way, always trying to, to humble ourselves, then we protect ourselves against something, whether or not it's there, right? But if we assume that it's not there because we can't see it, then it'll it'll have free reign to grow in us, you know? And then here's where it becomes obvious, okay? And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, right? So he's speaking now about the revelations of the vision that he saw. So he's making clear now, he's speaking about himself. Lest I should be exalted, falling to pride above measure by the abundance of the revelations that he saw, which is his vision of heaven, okay? A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure, okay? Different church fathers have different uh, opinions about what exactly was this thorn in the flesh. So, of course, thorn in the flesh is a, is a symbol, it's a metaphor for, for a disease, okay? Or some kind of ailment um, that he had. Um, Tertullian, the scholar, he said that it was a pain in his ear. Uh, St. John Chrysostom said it was a headache. St. Cyprian said it could be many other types of serious bodily ailments that can cause suffering. Um, uh, some people say it was insults directed against him concerning his ability to speak well. Some say it could be a problem with his eyesight or his vision. Um, uh, and so it's... Um, you know, we don't know, you know, we don't know. But it's something that is um, like uh, uh, troubling enough for him to ask God to remove it from him. It's something that's certainly an obstacle for him, something that is painful for him, okay? Uh, do you have a question? Can a thorn of flesh, is, is it just limited to physical ailments or can it be like um, just habitual sins or can, can well, that, is that well, also included? I mean when it comes to the specifics of St. Paul's thorn 
we believe most likely it was some physical thing. But when you speak about the thorn and the flesh as a concept, it can be anything. You know, maybe my thorn in my flesh is I have an addiction to something. And that addiction is keeps bringing me down. Like it's a sin that is so powerful against me. It's a weakness I have that is so powerful that it keeps making me, you know, bringing me down, right? That could be a thorn in the flesh. This is why like the, the church fathers, what they speak about the passions, right? So what are the passions? The passions are like, if you want to call them, they are that our tendency to sin, right? Our, 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 our desire for sin is a passion. So um, there are stories like in the, among like the desert fathers, for instance, where you have like monks who prayed that God would remove all of their passions. And they were told not to pray that that it is not good for God to remove all of our passions because it is through the, the it is through our passions that we realize how much we are in need of God. If I had no weakness, right? If I had no weakness at all, then I would be the most prideful person. You know, because I would I would look around me at everyone else who struggles and I wouldn't I, w I wouldn't have any sympathy for them and I would believe myself to be perfect as I am, right? Think about children for instance, you know, like when it comes to like physical strength, you know, as adults, obviously we have a lot of physical strength compared to a child. When you see a child um, who is trying to lift something heavy, we can relate to them because we can understand that they are young and that we were once children and that we also couldn't lift that thing, but now it's so trivial and easy for us to do. So imagine if you had that same mentality, but you didn't realize that other people also have weaknesses. If I was the only one who was strong, if I was the only one without sin, if I was the only one and everyone around me was weak and a sinful person, then I would fall into the greatest pride. So um, definitely it can be other things, right, in our lives. And he goes on and he says what? A messenger of Satan, right? Like how, how is it that Satan, if he's referring this as a messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, but at the same time, he's saying that God is the one who gave it to him. Right? So how is it that Satan would do something that is beneficial to St. Paul? If, if it came from Satan, but God is saying that he needs it to have it because it's beneficial to, for him. So how, how is that possible? God allowed it to happen, yes. And God did what? Yes. Right? So he took something that... Uh, that Satan intended for evil against, I mean, can you imagine, you know, like if, if, in the, if it's in the mind of Satan and he sees St. Paul as this very successful apostle and he's doing all of this good work, so he says, you know what, I'm going to slow him down. I'm going to stop him. I'm going to send him something in his flesh to make him ill, right, so that he cannot continue. I'm imagining, you know, in the mind of Satan. And God took this thing. First of all, he allowed Satan to do this. He didn't tell Satan to stop. He didn't prevent him from doing it. Like you said, like Job. And he told him what, or he took this thing that Satan did and he transformed it and he told St. Paul, you need this. You know, see the way that God works? Like God does not stop the evil, but he turns the evil into something good. For instance, God did not abolish death, but he turned death into life. He takes the evil and he turns it into good. This is actually more powerful than stopping the evil. You know, like you can think of um, God who is powerful, stopping evil things from happening. Say, so you know what? Why does God allow these evil things to happen? Stop the evil. But God does something actually even greater than that. He, he takes the evil and he turns the evil for something for our good, such that if that evil had never happened, maybe actually I would be worse off. You know, some of the church fathers talk about how 
because of the fall of man, it gave God the opportunity for incarnation. And that maybe we'd never have even experienced the incarnation of Christ. That Christ would bless our, our nature by being among us and living among us had the fall of man never happened. So God took what was evil, what was unintended, what God did not desire, but that happened and he turned it into something great, right? And the same thing here, even if it is an attack by the devil. This is how God confounds the devil. This is how God frustrates the devil. Because he doesn't stop the devil, because obviously the devil is active. and The devil is active in the world, right? He doesn't stop the devil. He takes what the devil does and he frustrates his plan against him says through your own actions okay i'm going to i'm going to take it and i'm going to turn it into something good and certainly in the case here um for saint paul and romans 8 28 is a verse famous verse that speaks about that all things work for good to those who love god right so it is for those who love god right it, it is not a universal thing it is not that universally everything that this that the devil has ever done has become good no it is for those who love god it is for the believer right so it is for us who have faith and trust in God that everything that comes upon us, this is why we say thank God for it. God has turned it into good. And maybe I don't detect the good. Maybe I don't know what the good is. And, 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 and maybe I, given a choice, I wouldn't want it, right? But it is in the mind of God to know why. Here, St. Paul has the spiritual maturity to understand. You know, he could have said, God, I am already suffering from the people. There's already so many obstacles in my way. I'm already doing something so difficult, going around the world, traveling, you know, preaching Christianity, being stoned, shipwrecked, hunger, all this stuff, all the complaints against him. Why are you adding on top of my load by giving me something that is not even from man? You know, it is, it is something, it is not coming even from man. I can understand if man comes and stands against me, but why are you allowing even this? And so here... Um, it kind of also highlights the difference between the physical obstacle and the spiritual obstacle. Because often we focus on the physical obstacle. What is the physical barriers that are preventing me from succeeding? All right, and we put a lot of energy and time into thinking about those physical problems that need to be resolved. But here God is focusing on the spiritual problem. He's saying, I'm not just interested that you are able to go around from place to place and and you know plant many churches and preach and all these things i don't want to lose you saint paul right this is why even saint paul when he says about himself i discipline my body right lest what i lose my own salvation like i i i, I become disqualified i have to discipline myself so saint paul also is under threat because he is so successful and this is the the challenge right is the moment that we begin to be successful and we excel then it, it's like we become more vulnerable. We become more vulnerable to fall, and so God is protecting St. Paul from this. Concerning this thing, this thorn, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So it gives you a sense that like St. Paul is pleading. He is begging God to remove this from him. Like This is not like a, it's not like, like a, just an annoyance. This is just something that's kind of a little bothersome or inconvenient. This is something that is truly painful, truly difficult, right? For, for St. Paul to ask God three different times. And St. Paul was the same one who, who healed other people and did all kinds of miracles, right, to other people. And yet he could not get rid of this own ailment in himself, right? Um, God wants to purify him. God wants to protect him, right? 
Um, and, and oftentimes that has to come through these kinds of challenges. Um, Saint Seraphim of Serov, he's an Eastern Orthodox saint. He said, acquire the spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be saved. Acquire the spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be saved. What does he mean? We always talk about how um, most of the time the salvation of people does not come from words, right? It is not just about the, the quality of my preaching. It is not just I'm going to say the right things, and when I say the right magical words, that people are going to be convinced and turn to Christianity and turn to the faith. It, it, it is not about words. It is about the Spirit of God working inside of me. And here this saying is saying, if we acquire the Spirit of God in us, if we truly acquire the Spirit of God, if we acquire the peace of God, if we acquire the love of God, then simply our example would be enough to save a thousand people around us simply because they see us, they know us, and they see God working in us. Okay? Um, St. Cyprian, he says, when we are attacked by weakness, sickness, and grief, then our strength will be made perfect and our faith will be crowned if we confront the temptation with steadfastness. Finally, this is the difference between us and the others, who, because they do not know God, they keep on complaining and grumbling, right? Th this is the difference. Whether we are righteous and saints and believers, or whether we are wicked, atheist, whatever, okay, the struggles were going to come on both. Actually, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says what? That the rain falls on both the righteous and the wicked. I believe it's Ecclesiastes. can't remember now. The rain falls on the righteous and the wicked, meaning the, 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 whether you are good or whether you are bad, you will suffer in the world. The rain will fall on you. The suffering will come upon you. It is not that certain people are exempted, right? The difference is not with whether we are going to experience weakness or sickness or grief. All of us are going to experience these things. The difference, right, he says, between us and the others who because they do not know God, they keep on complaining and grumbling. So we as believers, we take the calamity, we take the suffering, we take the, 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 the thing that is unpleasant, and we turn it for a reason to praise God. And we turn it into a trust that God knows what he is doing. And for that reason, we can have peace. For that reason, we can at least have a sense of purpose and a, and a trust that God knows what he's doing and that there is um, there's a reason behind it. It is not aimless. It is not purposeless, right? There's God is doing something, and we trust that he is. And so that gives us peace. That gives us a mind of, 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 of like steadfastness, like here, like what St. Cyprian is saying. But the unbeliever who the same things happen to, they have, no, they have n nothing to attribute it to other than the randomness of the universe. They can't, they can't say that there is a purpose in it. They don't, they don't, they, they, to them, it is just simply something that they want to avoid, and there is no good in it at all. So this is one of the big reasons why we as believers are blessed because we know that behind everything there is the, uh, the permission of God, the allowance of God, the purpose that God allows, and even in the case here of St. Paul. And so this is now God's response when St. Paul asked him three times to remove this. He's, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. It's a very famous verse. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Right? God is saying my grace is sufficient for you, meaning you don't need your ears or your eyes or your feet or your hands or whatever it is is the problem. 
My grace is sufficient for you. More is better than those physical things in your body. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The more that we are made to feel weak in ourselves, the more we rely on another person. Right? The more we rely on God, the, the less likely we are to fall into pride. And for someone like St. Paul, this was extremely important because he was still a human being and, and, and he can still be tempted by pride. So God preempted that pride by allowing him to suffer this and to feel like his strength is coming fully from God. I could not do this ministry unless it was the grace of God working um, in it. So that's why he says what I boast in my infirmities, because it is through my suffering, it is through my infirmities, right, that the power of Christ is manifested in me. It is through my suffering that the, that the work of God is being done. It is not through my eloquence, it is not through my hard work, it is through this reliance on God, God working in me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay. So, yes. Um, what does it mean? Um, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Like God's strength is not perfect on its own. It or? means our reliance on his strength. So we um, rely on God in various amounts right and so in the times when we feel weak that is when our reliance on his strength can be perfect full that i really feel that it is by the fullness and the grace of god that i live I and mean, i give you an example like god willing today and tomorrow and the next day god willing we will wake up and we will go about our business as usual and we will get in the car and we will drive and we will do things and maybe by the end of the day it wouldn't even have occurred to us all of the possible things that could have happened that didn't happen to us that day right but on the day god forbid that there is an accident or there is something completely unexpected that happens and it makes us to realize our how fragile we are right how how every day that we assume that it's going to be like the previous day and be quote unquote normal right it is it is not it's not guaranteed right it is it is god is the one who allows us to be have this life if you look at people who maybe have lost the you know use of their limbs like they're paralyzed or something you see like okay this is a human being maybe born like me who had all the same faculties that i had and now they can't walk or now they can't see or now they can't hear right so we we place our um we place often our our trust in our bodies because our bodies usually don't fail us, at least for a while anyway, right? Our bodies are reliable. Every day, day after day after day, I trust my body. I trust that my legs are gonna work, my eyes are gonna work, all these things are gonna work. And we don't even think about what it would be like if they didn't work because they just naturally it what's working, right? But, but when we are sick, right? When we have infirmity of whatever kind, this is when we have to place more of our um, trust in, in, in God. So the strength of God, even though it is always available to us, sometimes we don't try to tap into it. We don't, we don't feel like we need it. We feel like I'm fine on my own. So this is what he means. He's saying, my, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Your reliance on, my, on me, your, your access to my strength is made perfect in weakness. Because otherwise, maybe you don't come to me. Otherwise, you don't feel like you're in need of my strength. Does that make sense? Um, so now he goes back again to what he was saying at the beginning. I have become a fool 
and boasting. He never wanted to talk about this. He never wanted to reveal this. He never wanted to do, you know, it's like imagine you're going to like, um, you know, a, a, you know, you're a teacher and you're going to a classroom of your children that you're teaching and they're misbehaving and they're not doing what they should be doing. And so you resort to saying, you know what, um, I'm really a good teacher. If you just quiet down and listen to me, you're going to learn a lot. And let me show you my diploma. And let me like, like, let me boast of my accomplishments so that I can prove to you. Because if you don't listen to me, you're not going to learn math and science and English and blah, blah, blah. Right? It's like it's a pleading. And he's pleading it not because he wants people to praise him or to look at him like an, in a lofty way. He just wants them to learn. He just wants them to, to quiet down and to learn and to listen. Because if they do not listen to him, then maybe their end is condemnation. Maybe their end is darkness. Right? The path that they are walking is not one that would lead to salvation. And so he's coming to them, pleading with them, just listen to me because this is what I have experienced. All right? For I ought, um, uh, you have compelled me, right? You have compelled me by your, you know, by, by your rejection of me and my teaching. You are compelling me to have to boast. You're compelling me to have to explain my credentials and tell you my visions and all of these things so that you would listen. Okay? For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. So what is he saying here? Okay. In front of the other false teachers, these other false teachers that are coming and they're teaching them a gospel that is different than the gospel that St. Paul preached to them. He wants the people, right, the Corinthians, whenever they are confronted by these false teachers, to reject their teaching and to tell them this is not what St. Paul is teaching us. Like St. Paul is the authentic apostle. He is the one sent by God. And his teaching is different than what your teaching is, and we reject your teaching. But instead of what he's saying, I ought to be commended by you, meaning I should be, I should be defended by you. You should be uh, like, like, like seeking out my guidance. You should be boasting of, 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 of the gospel that I am preaching and not of what these other false teachers are, are teaching. For I am, uh, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, meaning I'm, I'm an apostle like all the others. Right, the most eminent apostles. It, I, I'm, I'm not anything. I'm, I'm, I'm the same as them. Right, I'm an apostle, just as the others are apostles. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Right, God manifested the authenticity of His apostleship through His teaching, through His actions, through His love, through His prayers. All of those things are like a testament to the truth of his apostleship. And the early church, um, I believe it's in the, the, the Didache, talks about how you can tell the difference between a false teacher and a, and a, and a right teacher. Okay? And what it says is, is, because a lot of people who were unknown, like no-name people, it's not like everybody knew who everybody was. Like somebody would come to a city and they would say, I am uh, a teacher uh, of the faith, right, of the Christian faith, and they would just have to accept that because they didn't have a way of verifying it. Right, so so the the Didache talks about how do you know if this is truly a person um, who, uh, who 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 is a true teacher or false teacher, and certainly the idea of the, the the content of their teaching certainly that is a way of finding out. But let's say someone is saying all the right things, okay? So how do you know? So it said, what if a person stays with you for one day, then he is an authentic teacher. If he stays with you two days then you can tolerate that. But if he stays with you three days, 
then he is a false teacher, right? And you think about that, why is that? The idea of these teachers and apostles is that their mission was to travel everywhere to preach, okay? So their, their goal of coming to you is not to receive hospitality, is not to receive food, is not to receive money, is not to receive anything. It is to teach and to move on to the next place and teach there and move on to the next place and teach there. So if you had a person who is coming and they are just enjoying their time being with you for a long time, right? They don't need to stay that long in order to teach you the gospel, right? So maybe they're there not because um, of, of wanting to teach, but they are there because they want to receive from you whatever it is that you want to offer them. And so that was one of the means by which in the early church they would tell who is, who is, who is the right teacher and who is the false teacher. What is their motivation? Are they coming because they want to teach or are they coming because they want to receive something for themselves? Yeah. So in regards to um, preaching and apostleship, so uh, if that were the case, why did Christ spend 30 years preaching to the people of like, like in his near vicinity? Like why wasn't it that like he, he was like in maybe Judah, like the one of the tribes and then went like maybe north and then like, like to the other 12 tribes or like 12 sections or just like, you know? So Christ was traveling the whole time, right? Like he didn't he didn't go and stay in one place, right? And just stay in that one place for for a really really long time. I mean, he would travel from place to place preaching to many different people. When when, when I when I mean the same place, I mean I guess the word place uh, it kind of depends on what your what context you're talking about. Um, but one of the problems there were at this time was that again those those teachers they would pose to be teachers because they want to be fed. They want a place to sleep. They want some financial assistance. You know, uh, it happened one time actually um, in one of the churches in Houston um, that a man came to the church, and he was um, he was a Greek Orthodox bishop, and he was dressed as a bishop, and he came to the priest and he told him that he had a car problem and his car broke down and he's trying to travel to i don't know austin or something like that and his phone is not working or he, he said some kind of story um and he needed some help and he saw that this there was this church this orthodox church nearby and he thought to come and to see if there was somebody who could help him because there was nobody else he could contact and no access to any phone or any uh, something like that and so i mean the man was dressed as a greek orthodox bishop so they gave him what he needed. They gave him money. They even asked him to pray for him. Okay, and only later on was it discovered this man was an imposter. You know, he wasn't an Orthodox bishop. He was nothing, right? So, um, what is it that he wanted? He wanted something for himself, right? He was posing as something so that he would receive something, not because he wanted to give anything. So, at the time, this was a big problem because again, there was no way to verify the identity of people, right? Like there was no background checks, there was no internet, there was, there, was, there was no phones, there was no way, like some person that you've never met before, he just comes to you and says, this is who I am. So what, what is your motivation? Because you know that if you go to the church and you tell them that you are a teacher and you begin to teach some stuff that they're going to feed you and do all this stuff. So, so the church said, beware. How are you going to know whether this person is authentic or not? How do you know that he's really like doing this because he's a real teacher or just wants something for himself? If he stays with you too long, then, then most likely he is not, he's not authentic. For what is it in which you are inferior to other churches 
except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Okay, St. Paul is trying to make the Corinthians feel like they are, um, they, are, they are the same as all the other churches. You are not inferior to the other churches except in one way. Okay, and what is that way? Remember, we spoke about this before, that St. Paul did not ask them to support him financially, right? Because he didn't want to be a burden for them, okay? He wanted them to, um, to, to not feel like he was coming to them, seeking something from them. So he told them, I will, I will uh, fund my ministry to you on my own. And it said even what, when he spoke about how he robbed, quote-unquote, other churches in order to serve them, he took money from other churches in order to serve them. And as we said before, some people even criticized him for not taking the money and, and, and instead having to work and do other things to, to make money. So he's saying, forgive me this wrong. Like He's, apo he's like apologizing to them, um, saying, you know what, maybe after receiving all this criticism, you say, okay, if you wanted to fund my ministry, then go ahead. I'm sorry for not giving you this blessing, you know, of, of doing that. But his intention was to, to spare them the burden and so that it would not be a stumbling block to anyone, so that nobody would say, you know what, this man, St. Paul, he's coming and taking money from the church, right? That's not what he wanted. Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Okay? Um, he, he, he still is wanting to come and visit them, because from before he had promised that he would come visit, but he hadn't had the chance yet. He wasn't able to do so yet. He's still saying he wants to visit them, and he doesn't want to be a burden on them. He doesn't want to take their money, right? Um, and he, his desire for them is not that he wants what is theirs, but he wants them. And it's like a beautiful sentiment, okay? For I do not seek yours, but you, right? I do not seek what you have. I seek you. I seek your salvation. I seek who you are. I seek your submission, right, to the word of God. I am not seeking what you own. I'm not seeking your resources. I'm seeking you yourself. I am, I am uh, I'm a shepherd, right, a shepherd of souls that is coming to seek you. Um, this analogy that he's giving here, the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children, meaning what? It is the parents who provide for the children, right? The parents are the ones that raise the children. He is their father, and so it is his responsibility to care for the children. It is his responsibility to put up with the weaknesses and the mistakes and the failures of the children, just as parents uh, in the world you know, they have to raise their children and be patient with them. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more, I the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. This verse actually is, the, is like the theme verse for the St. Abram Group Community Service. Is I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Meaning I will give everything that I have for you. I will spend my resources on you, my money on you and I will spend my own life on you. I will be spent for you. I will be exhausted for you. I will be tired for you. I will sacrifice my life for you. He's making it so clear what his desire is for them, and yet, sadly, he says, what the more that I love you, the less I am loved. The more I show you my love, the more I show you my care, you do not return this love for me, but instead you bring criticism and accusation, and, and you don't trust my words, right? So he, he uh, w w what was just said earlier about 
how how much love that he would show and how much like it would be returned negatively um like i i think uh, to uh, to a situation of, of how people people sometimes would not a- acknowledge or appreciate the amount of energy that you're trying to put towards something mm-hmm. i feel like the like the value of something decreases whenever it's just like readily available to you and so like like as christians is that supposed to be the la- the type of lifestyle we're supposed to push through of which we provide 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 for people or are we supposed to just reserve ourselves like and wait for others to just kind of make that effort so it wouldn't be like you know forced i guess when you say give ourselves to people in, in what way do you like mean in service no we're we're called to be like saint paul you know we 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 give ourselves to the service of those whom we serve in whatever capacity that we serve and we do th- so without reservation and we do so not because they have returned our love for them right this is actually the way that christ showed his love to us right if christ had taken the attitude um that i'm only going to show love as long as they're showing me love like well, where would we be you know we wouldn't we wouldn't have salvation right because even those people who he was saving were crucifying him right and even while he was on the cross he asked god to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing so certainly and one of the unique and most beautiful things about the christian faith is that our love is unconditional and limitless and the only way it can be so is because the love that we show to others is the love of god it is not our love it is not the limited human capacity of love which is very limited which is typically based on how others treat me you know and in the gospel of saint luke the lord is rebuking the people and he's he's telling them you know you only love those who love you what credit is that to you even the sinners do that you know he's saying you you are acting like the world when you only love those who love you right if we truly have the holy spirit in us then our love should transcend the love that is in the world and again it goes back to the quote by saint seraphim of serov if we acquire this love of god if we acquire truly this supernatural love then that will be the force of attraction, right? It, we can talk about it all we want, you know. We can talk about it. But if you actually demonstrate it, where there is someone who truly does not deserve our affection, our love, our kindness, and we go out of our way to serve them, that makes a lasting impact, you know. You know, if you do this exercise, like think to yourself, you know, who are the top, say, five people that you love? in the world think to yourself who are those top five people and then after you think of those top five people ask yourself how many of those top five people hate you most likely we will say none right none most likely the top five people that i think of that i love are those people who love me because this is by this is the 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 means or the 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 measure by which that i love why is it that I love my parents so much? Because my parents have shown me so much love all throughout my life, right? So maybe that's why I love them so much. But, if you, but this is a human love, right? If you truly want to go beyond human love and go to the supernatural divine love, then that is, has nothing to do with how we are treated. It has nothing to do with how other people feel about us. It is a love that takes an initiative it's a love that is not a reactive love but is a proactive love it is a love that seeks out those who are in need in some way regardless of how they feel about us right and so this is and this is what saint paul is saying 
saying, I have been given a charge by God that I am your father, that he has chosen me to serve you, and I will serve you no matter what. You know, But he is making it clear to them that the way they are acting is also not with the love of God. The more that I show you love, the less you, you love me. Right? So, so definitely as believers, we are called to love with this divine love and not with the human love alone. <coughs> but be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. What does he mean by that? He was being accused, right? His adversaries were accusing him of not being a straightforward. They accused him of being crafty right with the corinthians with deceiving them with not being straightforward when the people were saying you are one way in in real life and you are a different way in your letters it's almost like the person who's coming to us is not the same person who wrote the letters and, and he's saying no what i am when i am absent i will be when i am present i am i am transparent i am the same person um i am not cunning or deceiving you in any way did i take advantage of you by any of those whom i sent to you I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? So he's saying, even all of the other servants, all the other apostles that I sent to you, did I ever reap any personal gain? Did Titus reap any personal gain? We are all of one mind. We are all serving you together. We didn't. We are no, doing nothing for personal gain. We are. We are doing everything we are doing to show um, love. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Okay? He's saying, again, we are not trying to make excuses. We are not trying to defend ourselves. Okay? But everything we are doing is for your edification, for your salvation. We defend ourselves so that you will hear our words, the words of truth, and be saved. All right? Again, the same message that he keeps reiterating with them. For I, uh, for I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. What does that mean? For I, I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Mm -hmm. And also to the, uh, I fear that you might see me not living up to the standard that I tell you to be. Good, right? Like there's going to be a big disappointment when we meet. I'm afraid there's going to be a big disappointment. You are not going to be following what I am telling you, and you are not going to think that I am good either. You're going to think that you're you're going to be offended by me because of all of these complaints that they keep having. Okay. Um, Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Okay? Um, so, he's worried okay so he, he is worried about coming in person and that he would find them to be unrepentant and sinful which will then and he uses the word humble him meaning that he will be sad right he will be broken he will be sad because he will see that 
um, all of the effort that he has put in to try to correct them, to make them to walk in the right path, would have been in vain. Okay, that he would still come and find them to be contentious with one another, one, one another, having conflicts and fighting. That there will still be jealousies between each other. That there will still be anger and wrath and selfishness and backbitings and whisperings. Whisperings is gossiping, conceits, tumults, all these things, right? Because the bride of Christ is called to be like the bridegroom, right? If if we are truly filled with the Spirit of God, then we should have the characteristics of God. Right? And again, it goes back to our preaching. What is the preaching? How can we stand and we preach and tell people about Christ and orthodoxy and all this, and that if they were to come into the church, they would find that the church looks just like the world? You know, they did a, a survey, not, not about the Orthodox Church, but about the Christian church in general. And they found, for instance, that the number of people who are living uh, unmarried with uh, like a boyfriend or girlfriend among the Christians is exactly the same statistics as those who are living in the world. So why would anyone listen to us? Like, we are not doing what we tell people to do, right? There are people who have, you know, come to the church, and then when they find people, and I'm not saying this is a right reaction, but when they find people in the church who are maybe in conflict with one another, or people who curse, or people who, you know, fall into whatever sin, they, they, they leave, and they say, this isn't what I was expecting. You know, I wasn't expecting to come and to find this. Or there are people who believe before, you know, they're baptized or so that they expect to come to find that we are all angels and that we are living in complete harmony with one another and doing absolutely everything right. Of course, this is not realistic. And I'm not trying to say that that, that is realistic because the church is a hospital. But what is the, you know, what should we be? At least we can say it should be better than the world, you know. It should be better than the world, even if it's not perfection. But it should be better, you know, which is why we tend often to take matters very personally that actually are bigger than just our person. So let's say, for instance, I have a conflict with a certain person. Okay. This is a personal matter, right? I take it in a personal way. It's a personal matter. It's I have a conflict with a person who we too maybe upset with each other or whatnot. But take it to a higher level than just a personal level. Say, this is a matter of the body of Christ. There is a disease in the body of Christ. And this disease is my responsibility. You know, it is my responsibility. Imagine yourself to be a white blood cell, which is going to this disease, and it is your job as this white blood cell to eradicate this disease. I don't even know if that's the right reference because I don't think about medicine, but it sounds right. <laughs> so this is me. Like, I, I, I maybe have caused this problem, and it is my job to fix it, and in my job to fix it not only because it affects me as a, as a person, but it affects the entire church. It affects the entire church, right? How can I be in communion, right, with others of whom I hate? This affects me, and it affects the church, and it affects everyone, right? So the standard by which we are called to live in the church, the church is not just uh, an organization, and it's not just a club, and it's not just a group of people that, you know, are, 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 are members of this group, you know. Um, it, is, it, is the, it, is, it is the bride of Christ. So as the bride of Christ, how can we find these things in it, right? And because we are weak as, as, as sinners, right, it's understandable that, yes, there are problems, but we should not be satisfied with these problems. And we should feel very, very strongly that we must overcome these problems, each of us, not to point at the other and say, no, this person has to fix. No, I have to fix. 
It is my job to fix. It is my job to heal myself. It is my job to work on myself, to ask God for um, the Holy Spirit to help me and to transform me, to overcome these things, so that when anyone would come and see the bride of Christ, he would see like a spotless bride. He would see a bride who has been sanctified in preparation for communion uh, with the bridegroom. Any questions about that? I think this is a good stopping point before we do hmm? 14 verses, 14 verses in 11 minutes. But I have a lot more words to say than the verses. That's the problem. Oh, because you already made the, no. No, it's okay. Next week, God willing, uh, we, we'll probably just do only uh, this chapter. We'll see. Any questions? Uh, before we conclude, uh, I want a question. Go ahead, Javi. So, so Saint Paul, he, um, he he doesn't want to visit them, and then also have to rebuke them. That's actually one of the reasons he delayed his visit to them, because he had sent them the epistle of First Corinthians, and First Corinthians was full of rebukes, and so he didn't want to go immediately and visit them before they had the opportunity to change, and then having found the same problems, feel compelled to address them again. You know, he, he, does, he doesn't want to always have an antagonistic, negative relationship with them. He wants to have a positive relationship. So he doesn't want to go there while there's all these problems, and then he spends all his time just having to rebuke them for these problems. So this is why he's worried, because he doesn't want that. He's, he wants to visit them, but he wants to visit them having, them having like, um, overcome these things and having um, moved on from them so that he doesn't have to keep bringing them up again. That's, that's why he was worried. Do you have a question at home? really pertain to the to the lesson it's just more so are we going to do like the old testament from here on out or is it just going to be like back and forth old and new we've been doing back and forth okay. um so but next we next week god willing or the week after i guess the next book will be exodus okay. we'll continue where we left off in uh, from genesis and then we'll do exodus okay all right let's pray In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O God, for this day. We thank you for the blessings of studying your word. Fill our minds, O Lord, with understanding, so that we might not only understand to be able to preach, but also to be able to live according to your word. That in every way, O Lord, whatever it is that we preach to others, help us, O Lord, to practice it in ourselves. Give us strength, O Lord, of character, and the strength of your Holy Spirit working in us. Help us, O Lord, to see all of the difficulties and challenges that you give us in our life and that you allow to happen in our life to be for our good, to protect us, O Lord, from sin. Teach us, O God, to trust in you, to place our faith in you, to follow you and to walk with you, and to submit, O Lord, to your will, even when we do not understand. Protect us, O Lord, and help us to be like St. Paul, to serve, O Lord, with a heart and a passion for you, that we would be willing to uh, endure and experience even such hardship for the sake of those whom we serve, 
to teach us, O Lord, how to love the way that you love, not expecting anything in return. Grant us your peace, O Lord, and fill us, O Lord, with a spirit of peace, of comfort, of joy, and help us to share this, O Lord, with the world to bring them all into your house. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints here, as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, to the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.